0: I'm excited to introduce uh, more thoroughly our guest preacher this morning, Pastor Wesley Marshall. Uh, Fabian and I have a long relationship with him that goes back one full week, uh, where about a week ago, uh, he and his fellow pastor, David, uh, say his last name again. Cluta, uh, we're walking the streets of their neighborhood observatory in Woodstock and the eastern city of, of Cape Town, uh, giving us the, uh, the eastern part of the city uh, of Cape Town, They they're just giving us a taste and a vision of who their church is seeking to love with the love of Christ. And Pastor Wesley is the lead pastor of Hope City Church. Uh, there, and uh, also has quickly become a friend, and you know, through God's good providence, uh, lined up Wesley to, to travel uh, to the Triangle this week, uh, and, uh, and so I was like, man, why don't you preach the Word for us this morning, and, and so we have the privilege of hearing him uh, bring God's Word to us. Uh, Wesley and uh, his friend David uh, planted Hope City Church two years ago. Uh, Wesley is from Cape Town, South Africa. He's married to his wife, Nicole. They have two boys, Jackson and Joel. And I'm so thankful uh, that Christ Central, we get to hear uh, our brother from South Africa bring the word of God to us this morning. So would you welcome Pastor Wesley Marshall.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for that very, very warm welcome. Thank you, Daniel, for that thorough introduction. Um, if you mind just giving me a, a few seconds to just get my bearings here. It's such a great privilege to, to be worshiping the Lord I'm with you all today, and then to be able to open up God's word and to, to share what the Lord is wanting to say to us today. Um, from his word I'm with you. Now let me just say something about my accent. If I am going a little fast or if I sound a little unclear, just smile, just nod your head, <laughs> just say amen, and everything will be okay. Um, in 2018 I started doing um, research about a few neighborhoods in what we now call the east city of Cape Town, and we started doing research for a new church plant. And one of the things that I noticed about the east city of Cape Town was how beautifully diverse that part of our, our city was. As I walked the streets of the city, I saw a melting pot of cultures and races and generations and socioeconomic classes, and I can go on and on and on. I was very concerned when I looked at a few of the churches in the neighborhood and saw that a lot of them were very homogenous. Some of them had separate services for other foreign African nationals, and so there was a sense in which the church in the east city of Cape Town seemed to be a little segregated. And as I, um, myself and my wife and the team that we had alongside of us, as we prayed, one of the things that we asked God to do was to bring together this diverse part of the city to come and worship God as one in the context of our new local church. Now, as I've engaged with conversation with with a few of you, and and with Daniel, and even when Fabian was back in Cape Town, I got a sense that Durham, my my, my South Africanness is going to want me to say Durham, <laughs> but I'm going to say Durham, <laughs> is 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 very very similar um, to to Cape Town. I get a sense, and yesterday I was able to to walk around um, the city, um, and. Throughout the week since Wednesday, someone's been taking me around and they've been showing me, me the city and I get a very strong sense that Durham is very, very similar to the east city of, of Cape Town. And as I speak to Daniel and, and others, I hear a longing to see that diversity be present as you worship God as Christ Central Church. Now at the heart of this desire that I have for the East City and that many of you have for for your city here in Durham lies what I see to be a huge implication of the gospel. And that is that God is busy bringing together a people whom he's calling his own. And this people is from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so as I reflect on this this morning I chose a passage from scripture that I pray will, will spur us on to that end, that it will spur us on to seeking to surrender to God's word of bringing people into our worship spaces who look very, very different and, and, and sound very, very different um, to us. And this is the work of his son, breaking down, dividing walls of hostility between us and God and between us and our brothers and our sisters in our neighborhood. Would you stand to your feet as we read God's word together today? Today we are going to read Ephesians chapter 2 and we are going to read from verse 11 all the way through to verses 22. Hear the word of the Lord. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Father, we are so grateful for this wonderful privilege, this wonderful opportunity that we have to gather as your people, to open your word with such freedom and, and, and to proclaim, thus saith the Lord. Lord God, help us to know your ways today, teach us your paths, lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation, for you we wait all day long, through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may take your seats. There's a song that we love singing back home, and the chorus of the song says, we are the people of God. And it's a phrase that many of you may, may use when you come together You're on a Sunday together. You may say, I am going to gather with the people of God. But today I want us to think about what does that phrase mean? What does it mean to be the people of God? Is, is that just a cliche that we throw around to communicate that, that we are a holy huddle of chosen frozens? What does it mean for how we ought to live our lives individually? What does it mean for how we ought to function as a church community? And what does it mean for how we ought to see each other um, as, as, as brothers and, and sisters? Now Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it helps us to wrestle with these questions and it, it shows us what it means to be the people of God let me give you some background to our our text today. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, and the main message of Paul's letter is to show the church in Ephesus that God is busy building for himself, like the slain theologian John Stott would say, a new society or a new people of God. Paul aims to show the church in Ephesus how this people of God is in Christ and how they are also through Christ. Paul aims to show them how they are brought about. He shows them what standards they ought to live by. And Paul also shows them what the nature of the relationships within this new society of God ought to be. Now, in our passage today, we are going to look at one particular aspect of Paul's main message, and there are three things that I would like us to see today from this text, and these three things Paul highlights. The three things are, Paul shows us what we once were, he shows us what Jesus has done for us, and he shows us what we have now become. So let's look at our first point, what we once were. In chapter 1, Paul reminds those who are already believing in Jesus, um, he reminds them of the wonderful spiritual blessings that they get to enjoy in Christ Jesus. And at the start of chapter 2, Paul reminds them that they were once dead in their trespasses and sin and that through Christ they have been made alive. And this act of being made alive is not a result of anything that they have done. It was not by any merit of their own, but it was an act of God's grace. Now in these first 10 verses of chapter 2, Paul reminds the believers that they were once alienated from God. And now, in our text from verses 11 through to, to 22, he shows them that they were not just alienated from God, but they were alienated from each other. In verse 11 to 22, Paul specifically speaks to, to the Gentiles who are, um, were the non Jews of the day, and he reminds them of their disabilities. So there are three things that Paul tells them um, they were. The first thing is, he tells them that they were once separated from Christ. Now up until the time that Jesus came, the Gentiles were neither in Christ nor were they with Christ and unlike the Jews, the Gentiles had absolutely no expectation of a, a coming Messiah, And now this means that at one time the Gentiles had absolutely no privy to the benefits that Paul spoke about in chapters 1 and chapters 2 of the book of Ephesians. They didn't know the spiritual blessings that those who are in Christ knows. And they did not know God's power to quicken them, to raise them to life, and to seat them with Christ. And so they were separated from Christ. The second thing that Paul shows them is that they were alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel and they were strangers of the covenant of promise. In the Old Testament, we we see God making a covenant with, with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. Um, And one of the promises that God makes is that God himself would rule over them, he would protect them, and he would bless them, and in exchange, they need to believe him and they need to obey him. Now, all of Abram's male descendants were to wear the sign of this covenant, which was circumcision. Circumcision. Now, the Gentiles, however, were very um, excluded from this covenant, and they were excluded from the kingdom. The fact that they didn't carry the sign of the covenant left them to be the scorn of the Jews. And Paul highlights this in, in verse And so Paul reminds them they were alienated from Israel and they were strangers to the covenant of promise. The third thing that Paul reminds them about who they once were is Paul tells them that they were without hope and they were without God in the world. They had no hope to sustain them and because even though God had planned and promised to include them one day, they didn't know it because the Israelites were not proclaiming that to them as they were to. No one told them that one day God had this amazing plan of salvation um, for them as well. And they were godless. Because even though God had revealed himself, himself to them in nature, um, he didn't leave them without a witness of his existence. They instead, they suppressed the truth of, of the existence of God and they turned to, to dead idols. Now the hopelessness that they felt was further exaggerated as these idols that they worshipped could not satisfy the, the, the hunger that they had for For God. Now I suspect that many of us here today may not be of direct um, Jewish descent, and so together with the the Gentiles, many of us here today, if not all of us, were at one point in our lives Christless. We were stateless. We were friendless. We were hopeless, and we were godless. In in Paul's words, in verse thirteen. All of us were far off. We were alienated from God. We were alienated from God's people. And if you were to ask me, that is a very sad state of affairs to be caught up in. Now, not only were we once Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless, but there was no power that we had or there was no merit that we owned that could change the position that we were in. We, we had nothing in and of ourselves to choose God or to have the hunger that we had for God filled. And the good news is that God, in his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ... And even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God took a step toward us. And today, this is something that you and I need to rejoice in greatly. Let's look at our second point. Let's think about, from our text, what Christ has done for us. Paul summarizes the the one thing that Christ has done By stating that in Christ, those who were once far off have now been brought near, and they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now the Israelites understood the concept of being near to God very well, and it's, it's, it's encapsulated in Moses' declaration in Deuteronomy four verse seven. Moses says, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? So the Israelites understood what it meant to be near to the promise-keeping God, Yahweh. Now God has also promised um, through the prophet Isaiah that one day he would speak peace not just to those who were near, not just to the Israelites, but he would speak peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Now brothers and sisters, God has not chosen to keep his distance from us. If you wanna engage with your president, If you wanna go to the UK and have a meeting with King Charles, there are a lot of protocols, there are a lot of formalities that you are gonna go through in order to get to those kings and those rulers. God does not insist on complicated protocol for you and I to to, to draw near to him. He doesn't insist that we perform specific rituals in order for us to get near to him. Instead, through Christ Jesus, you and I have access to our Father. Verse 13 tells us that, that this act of being brought near to God is made possible by the blood of Christ. Christ's death reconciled us to God, but it also reconciled us to each other. Now, this act of being brought near, it isn't a universal act. It doesn't mean that because of what Christ has done, the whole world is going to be brought near to God. This this act of being brought near to God are for those who are in Christ, those who have union with Christ, those whom God has by the the work of his Spirit allowed the eyes to be opened so that they can see Christ and so that the Holy Spirit can awaken faith in them to trust in Christ. Now you and I who believe in Jesus, we, we are reconciled to God, we are reconciled to each other, we are brought near to God and we are brought near to God's covenant people, God's new society that is forming and building from every nation, every tribe and every tongue and this has happened because of the death of our savior on the cross. Paul then goes and, and Paul double taps on this idea of being brought near. And Paul says that Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, when we read it, it's very easy to think of this phrase um, as being just a metaphorical phrase. Um, But Paul wasn't just being metaphorical when he he said this. He wasn't just trying to describe the division and the enmity that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul was actually referring to a very literal symbol of this division and this hostility. The the dividing wall that surrounded the temple where the Jews worshipped. This is what Paul was referring to. The temple and the area where the Jews worshipped. Was elevated about twenty steps above above the ground, and then fourteen steps away from that, there was a a, a um there, there were two walls um, that separated the Jews from the place that they could could dwell, and the place with sorry the Gentiles and the place where they could dwell, and the Jews in the place where they could worship. The only thing that the Gentiles could do was they could look up and they could see the Jews engaging in worship, but they were forbidden from going up and and joining in that worship. So the second wall was a sign of division. It was a sign of hostility between the Gentiles and the covenant people of God. Now, I grew up in, in South Africa and many of you may be familiar with um, what you would call apartheid, I would say apartheid in my proper South African accent and in the apartheid era the government had set up signs all over the country to show that there were certain amenities in cities that were reserved for whites only, and everything else um, was for, for people of color. So if you went to the beach... Um, you would see a sign that said this beach is reserved for whites only. If you went to public toilets, there were toilets that were reserved for whites and people of color had to use um, other toilets. Um, Park benches, there were park benches that were reserved for whites only. Very similar to uh, a popular story that, that we hear back home, the story of Rosa Parks when she was on a bus and she sat in seats that was reserved for, for whites only. And that, that was the situation back home. And, and some of you here today may have even been alive while this was happening back in South Africa. And so this dividing wall of hostility was very similar to that. It was, these signs were a, a very stark, a very clear sign of the hostility that whites felt against people of color. Now the Gentiles, as they moved towards the temple, they felt this exclusion. They didn't just feel the exclusion, but they felt the hostility that was directed towards them from God's covenant people. And Paul says that Christ has come, and he has come to break down that dividing walls of hostility. Now you may be in this building today, you may be worshiping with us, maybe you are online, um, but there may be a number of things that causes you to feel excluded or that causes you to feel afar off from God. Maybe there is some dividing wall of hostility that is still very, very clearly erected between you and God or between you and God's covenant people. And maybe it's your guilt. Maybe it's the fact that you feel so unclean or so sinful that you cannot fathom being near to a holy God. Maybe other so called Christians have made you feel afar off. Maybe they've demanded that you live up to a certain standard in order for you to be acceptable to God. Maybe they've placed in front of you a whole series of hoops that you need to jump through first in order for you to get in with the in crowd. Maybe they've spoken about your sin and your disobedience in a way that has made you feel so far beyond the point of redemption. There's good news for you today. The good news is that when you place your faith in Christ's work of dying on the cross, Your sins can be forgiven. That guilt and that shame that you are feeling, that can be erased if you trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. You can be brought near to God because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You get to come near to God, not just as this holy statue in some um, sacred building, but you get to come near to God as your father, as the one who will walk with you through his Holy Spirit. Let's look at our, our third point. What are we now? In this last section of our text, Paul highlights three things that we have Become. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that they are now God's kingdom, they are God's family, and they are God's temple. Let's look at the first one God's kingdom. That means that we are no longer stateless. We are no longer a people who are wandering around without a king to rule over us. More than that, the claim of being citizens of God's kingdom does not belong to Israel exclusively. And it's not just limited um, to a specific geographical location somewhere in the world. God's kingdom is God ruling over his people, bestowing upon them all of the privileges and all of the responsibilities which his rule implies. And so we have a God, a king, who who rejoices in this international, interracial, multi ethnic kingdom that he is forming for himself? It's a kingdom that is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither black, neither white. It is a kingdom of his beloved sons and daughters. And so, if you are here today and you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, Your your refugee status or your asylum-seeking status has been scrapped. If you were in the country and you needed to carry a visa, that visa was taken away and it was torn up, and you now have been given an identity document. You belong, you are a a citizen of the kingdom of God. The second thing that Paul tells them that they've now become is that they are now God's Family. Paul moves here to a more intimate metaphor, and Paul calls us members of God's household. In other words, we we don't just carry IDs, but the last name on the ID is the same. We are family, we are brothers, and we are sisters. And the Jews and, and the Gentiles who, who once lived with great animosity between them, they are now not just fellow citizens dwelling together in the kingdom of God, but they are brothers and sisters dwelling in the same household of their father. Now Paul's emphasis about this, this, this relationship with the father, um, this emphasis on us now being God's family, is not necessarily just he doesn't necessarily focus on our father relationship. Instead, he double taps and he, he focuses on the fact that we are a brotherhood. We are brothers. And sisters. God's children have the relationship with each other characterized by an affection, by a care, um, by a a particular kind of support for one another that is so different um, in in, in any other social structure in society today. Now, I've said in my sermon today, I've said brothers and sisters a number of times, and often that can just become a a cliche. Often we throw um, that those phrases around very, very frivol- frivolously. But these words, brother and sister, brother and sister, these words are essential to the description of our relationships with each other. We are not just friends. We are not just acquaintances. There is an intimacy that 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 exists in the relationship that we we have. Often we say brother and we say sister and we turn a blind eye when our brother and our sister is in need. Often we say brother and sister and when our brother or sister wanders away from the father, we turn away and we run to our other brothers and sisters and we carry on with our holy huddle. We say brother and sister but we give preference to those in our community who look like us, whose bank account is the same size as us, who sounds like us, and we turn away from those who who look very, very differently to us. Now, brothers and sisters, my prayer today is that as this local expression of God's family here in, in Durham, that you will always strive to, to deeply, authentically, and sacrificially care for each other. And that doesn't just mean that you show up every Sunday ready to take care of the material needs of your brothers and sisters, but maybe it, needs, it means that you pencil some margin into your schedule to sit down and listen to a brother and sister when they need to talk. Maybe it means that when you know of a brother and sister that is on an unhealthy path away from God, that you take time to lovingly and gently sit with them and and show them back to the Father's house. The evangelist John tells us, he reminds us that the world will know that we are Christ's disciples not by how beautiful our church buildings looks, not by the size of the Bibles that we carry, but by our love for each other. We are God's family. The third thing that the Apostle Paul says that God has now made us, is God has now made us his temple. God's temple is no longer subject to, to the brick and mortar. It's not just limited to a geographical location. God's people internationally, God's people interculturally, interrationally, they are the bricks. Now this not, might not be nice, but you are a brick. And you are a brick that God is using to build his Temple. There are two important things that Paul mentions. Paul says that Christ is the chief cornerstone of this temple that God is building. The function of of the cornerstone is to keep the rest of the, the, the building materials connected to the foundation. And so Christ keeps us connection, connected to our foundation. But what is our foundation? Paul says that we are being built on the foundation of the, of the apostles and the prophets. Now, this doesn't literally mean that we are built on the physical prophets and apostles, but it means that we are built on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And so everything that is contained in Scripture, that ought to be our foundation, And so when the wind comes and when the rain beats down on us, this building, God's temple, will stand firm because of the strength of the foundation. Now if you are here today and and you are living your life according to any other text other than the scriptures, if you are clinging to anything else other than the scriptures, if you are looking to anything else other than the scriptures to bring order to the chaos in your life, then you are not trusting Christ's work. You are not trusting Christ's work of reconciling you to God and, and, and reconciling you to your brothers and sisters. You are not trusting in Christ's work to, to come and give meaning and purpose to your life. Through it all. On a Sunday when you get together here for, for worship, this is a time that, that God speaks to you, whether you are in Durham, whether you are in Cape Town, when God's people comes together for, for, for the Lord's Day worship, this is a time that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the songs that we sing, through the reading of his word, through, through the prayers that we pray. And this is a time that we need to cherish as we come into this place with our brothers and sisters um, who, who, who are from every walk of life, we come to hear the Lord speak to us. We come to have that foundation that we are being built on strengthened. Now, brothers and sisters, um, today, from God's word, we have been reminded of Christ's incredible power, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We've been reminded of what God has done for us through Christ. We have also been reminded that once we were strangers, maybe some of you here may have been enemies at one point in your life, but through the blood of Christ, we have now been brought near to God and we have been brought near to each other. The things that divided us, those divided walls of hostility that separated us, that has been demolished. And we now stand together as a unified kingdom. We stand together as a unified family. We stand together as, as God's temple that is being built together for the glory of his name. Now for many of you, if not for all of you, this truth should bring you to tears. This truth should move you to to earnestly desire to see these truths at work as you worship the Lord here today. Um, Yesterday I was able to walk around um, the city and when you walk around this beautiful city of yours, you see people from all walks of life. You see people who have different life experiences, people who come from different cultures, people who have different perspectives. But I pray that it is your desire to see those people come and find their place among you, not just as visitors on a Sunday, but as fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. That you would desire to see those people who look very different to you come and sit amongst you as brothers, and sisters, that you would desire to see them come and find their place as the temple of God amongst you. And you know what, despite your differences, God would come and by his great grace, he would bind you together with a love, the the very same love that moved Christ to the cross. And so as you leave this place today, I pray that you will carry this truth with you, that you will seek to love and serve each other, not as strangers, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that you will never, ever forget the incredible sacrifice that Christ has made to bring you all together. And so may Christ's love compel us to live in this way. May he compel us to, to see and, and live as family evermore. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the foundation that we are being built on, the, the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. Thank you that you are busy building us together as a holy temple. Thank you that you continue to bring in brothers and sisters whom we are able to embrace. Thank you that you are making us a kingdom who is sitting under your direct rule and direction for our lives. We thank you for your word. Give us grace to hear what you have to say to us today and enable us to apply these things to our lives. For the sake of your son, Jesus, amen.